and thank you for listening to the 6570 Family Project Podcast. This is a passion project I have to bring you insight and tactical advice that you can take and run with today from myself and a very talented and genuine group of guests brought together to help you take your family experience from good to great and build that foundation of confidence and respect and wisdom that every parent wants to see their child master before they ever leave home. What I really love, though, is connecting with you and giving you a space to connect with each other, which is exactly why the Family Architects Club exists. This private parents club is designed for every parent going through the 6570, those 6,570 days of the parenthood childhood dynamic, which is where your most influential and most impactful window exists as a parent. And this community supports, it guides, it laughs, it builds together to help you in the greatest project that you will ever have as a parent. That being the 6570 Family Project. So I invite you to come on into this club, get to know people and see what is waiting for you, including a free members only gift that you will love and use over and over and over again as a parent. So I can't wait to see you there. And you can just go to NellieHarden.com slash community. Again, that's NellieHarden.com slash community to get connected and get your free members only gift. So I will see you there. Hello, and welcome to the 6570 Family Project Podcast. If you are a parent of a tween, teen, or somewhere on the way, this is exactly the place for you. This is the playground for parents who want to raise their kids with intention, strength, and joy come and hear all the discussions, get all the tactics and have lots of laughs along the way. We will dive into the real challenges in raising kids today, how to show up as parents and teach your kids how to show up as members of the family and individuals of the world. My name is Nellie Harden, big city girl turned small town, sip an iced tea on the front porch mama who loves igniting transformation in the hearts and minds of families by helping them build self-led discipline and leadership that elevates the family experience and sets the kids up with a rock solid foundation they can launch their life on all before they ever leave home. This is the 6570 Family Project. Let's go. Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 6570 Family Project Podcast, where we are taking the first 6,570 days of our children's lives, where we are the architects and we are building the beginning of someone else's life. And we are building it strong with a foundation that they can take with confidence, respect, and wisdom into the rest of their lives. You guys, I have a very special guest on today because we live in a world of very different people. I always say there is is no such thing as normal, right? Normal is actually just the average of all the abnormal. There's no two people, even if you have an identical twin, there is no two people on this planet that are exactly the same, that think the same, behave the same. We are all very different from one another. And in some ways, and some people, we have uh, families with children with severe developmental delays, right? And we are going to be speaking to and for those families today with Dr. Dawn Menge or Dr. Dawn 
And she has won over 41 international awards and is the author of an incredible series that I highly recommend you run out and get after this. There's 13 in the series right now. They're children's books called Queen Vernita's Educational Series. And it is, uh, it's gotten recognitions everywhere, including special recognition champion from Conquering De uh, Disabilities uh, Film Festival. And it really teaches families and whether you are a family with a child with um, severe developmental delays, or you are a child or a family with a child that doesn't, or is just typical abnormal, right? Um, then you are going to want this series because it sees people for people first and then diagnosis later on. And this series is so special, so beautifully illustrated, so beautifully written out that it helps everyone understand when they see someone out in the public that they are a person with wants and dreams and capabilities and possibilities just like they are no matter what. So definitely go out and get this series after you're done listening today. Um, Dawn has a bachelor's, bachelor's degree in human development, and she's been teaching students with severe cognitive delays for over 20 years. She has three children and six beautiful grandchildren and lives in the beautiful Southern California. You guys, she has a PhD in curriculum and instruction. She is someone you are going to want to hear and listen to to grow your heart five sizes today. I can't wait to get started. Let's go ahead and jump in with our discussion with Dawn. Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm so excited to get to talk with Dr. Dawn today about her work with families. And I've told you a bit about her and the work that she does, but I first, I just wanna welcome you to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited to have you here, uh, fellow author, and also, even more importantly, the work that you do and the message that your uh, books can relay onto families today. So you're obviously a leader in the work of uh, special needs and severe de developmental delays with um, children and families. Can you tell me what is your journey? How did you get to the place that you are at today in helping families? Well, it actually started um, when I started going to junior college. I worked in my mom's classroom. She was a kindergarten teacher. And so I was receiving credit at the junior college for that. And so she kind of taught me how to be a teacher and how to care for the students and the families. And then when I started working in special ed, I actually started as an assistant. And I had two amazing teachers that mentored me. And they're the ones that kept me in here in what I'm doing and helped me to fight for our students. And I don't think if I had not had those two mentors as an assistant, I probably would not have stayed um, you know, most teachers leave the first year is the hardest and five, five years, you know, or you're lucky if you've gone past five years, then you're doing good. And I've been teaching for 21 years at least. And I was an assistant for three and a half years after that. So, you know, I've, I've hung in there and have so, had some, mental, oh, sorry, some incredible experiences with my students and my parents. I was very lucky um, when I started as an assistant. And when I became a teacher, I actually took the same students with me mm -hmm. and I got two very, very great aides who had, we had the same philosophy and that's really important in the classroom. 
is to have the same philosophies. And we got to keep the students, um, our students stay until their 22nd birthday. So we went from the junior high, the elementary to the junior high to the high school. And then we had an adult center in the community and we kept the same students and we had a little business and we went everywhere. They worked in the community. Uh, we, they worked in the college and we just had a great time until they, um, they just graduated <laughs> and grew up. So in the adult center, they get to stay there until they're 22 in or was that even ed, okay. anywhere in special ed, they stay up until their 22nd birthday. And that could be on campus. It depends on where they're located is depends on their abilities. Okay. All right. And then in the adult center, they got to go even further than that. Uh, Well, they stayed until their 22nd birthday and uh, they were able to, like, we rode the city bus to the college and they took a restaurant class. They got college credit. We worked in probably five different businesses in the little town that we lived in. Um, We, I mean, made these Christmas trees out of hangers. Like saw them in Garland and the students made them all and we sold them. And so we used that to fund a lot of our bus trips. And we went all over the place to the beach, to the movies. I grew up in the mountains. I live in Southern California and I grew up in a small town. And we got to go snow skiing when we were growing up. So I was teaching in the same district and I wanted my students to have that same experience. So I got some grants and we went snow skiing for about four years. We did that. And if I had not had such a solid uh, relationship with the parents, mm. we would not have been able to do that, you know, and, and all of my students participated. The one I had some high, high ones who learned how to snowboard. And then I had some other ones that they used, they called them reins and they hooked them to the front of the skis and the, they were guided by the ski instructors. And then the other ones who have, might have seizure disorders or weren't strong enough, they actually were in a sled. And they took them down in the sled. So they got to do that. And um, it was just amazing. You know, we loved it. There was one time, though, the wind was blowing. And it actually blew the chair off the wheel that makes it go around. Oh, goodness gracious. One of my little girls was on there. And so I'm standing under there. You know, I don't know what I was going to do, catch her. But I'm just standing (laughs) underneath there. And and the ski instructors are like, you know, ma'am, you have to go over there. And I said, no, I'm her teacher. And I'm staying right here until you bring her down. And, you know, me, I would have been terrified, you know, that it's swinging and she had to get on this little piece of wood, sit on this little piece of wood and they got her down by the rope and she was perfectly fine. And I would have been like hysterical, but I'm like, oh, we're going, you know, (laughs) so we've had some experiences uh, when we were in high school. I wanted to take them swimming with the dolphins because I love doing that. I've done that in several different places. So we arranged to go to SeaWorld. And my students, we had one of those thermometers that you see where they raise money. So we had one of those and we recycled and made our Christmas trees and all of this. And we actually went swimming with the dolphins in SeaWorld and all of the parents got to come for free. And we put our wetsuits on and we did that. And it was amazing. Wow. Wow. And I, I know that knowing the parents and having that relationship with the parents and with the family and that continuation of that relationship is so, so, so important. Um, even with, so my, um, my oldest daughter, when 
we just were jumping around schools with her. We couldn't find quite uh, a right fit. And we finally found a really good fit, but it was in a private school and it was really expensive. And I had three kids coming up underneath and there was no way that we were going to be able to sustain that. And so we did transition to a public school, but I had a relationship with that teacher that I knew that she was going to get that following year um, for about six, seven months before she went in and we would talk and we met a couple of times and we really went over, you know, how best um, for uh, Skyla, my oldest to uh, be trans transferred or transitioned into a public school. And so her first year was great. But then after that, I realized, and it really started going down her experience in the public school system. And I realized I didn't have that relationship that I had with that first teacher and we didn't get to talk as much. And we did, she didn't get to know my uh, child as much before she was a student of hers and even throughout the entire year. And so year after year after that, we started uh, noticing some decline. So anyway, that was part of the reason in our story, why we started homeschooling seven years ago. Um, And now she's um, over in the public school for high school and um, she does dual enrollment with college, but it really was that relationship between the parents and that communication between parents and um, child, especially, I think if you have this, you know, severe developmental delays in your family um, going on is imperative. And my mom actually worked in um, the special education for years after I graduated high school and left home. Um, She started working as an assistant in the elementary schools, which over the course of a couple of decades ended up that she was an assistant in the middle schools for special education for several, several years. And the stories that I would hear were inspiring and heartbreaking, depending on the family and the communication that was um, going on uh, between uh, teacher, parent, child, and that whole uh, trio dynamic there. So with that, you know, in the 6570 family project, when we're really focusing on these, you know, these um, 6570 days uh, that we are the high impact, high influence um, in their lives, which if they have severe developmental delays is maybe even longer um, than that, and maybe even a lifetime. But still within that time, we're talking about developing as a parent, as a child, helping your child develop and as a team, which you as a teacher, as a special needs teacher would be a part of that team as well. You were developing, uh, you know, vision, discipline, um, uh, resilience and vulnerability in there. And resilience, I think is something that I would love to hear you speak on there. Resilience, um, from the parent's perspective, from your perspective as the teacher, and also from the child and any stories that you have in there, because I know it's so imperative in order to help build that leg, the resilience. Sometimes the parents come in and they're just, they have, they have nothing left. Yeah. You know, their child has been in the hospital or they have severe behaviors. Um, you know, it, it affects the families, the marriages, the, the siblings, and sometimes the siblings get forgotten, you know, because the, the, the child with special, oh, excuse me, the child with special needs needs so much. And so when they come to us, they need to understand that we're on their side. You know, mm-hmm. we're there, we're their support system. We're not, you know, the enemy, you know, sometimes they think the system does itself, but we are a team. 
like you said, we have the teacher and we have the parent, the student. Um, there's whatever services there are, there's administration. Um, you go, you go to them and you say, I need this, or I don't know what to do. I have parents who say, I don't know what to do. You know, I had a little boy. He was, he was actually just doing something teenagers does. He was, he was getting on YouTube and she's like, I don't know what to do. And I said, he's, he's 12. He's acting like a 12 year old. It's okay. <laughs> Set up a rule, you know, do the YouTube, you know, block the YouTube. So you all can see kids. And then they were fine, you know, but you have to remember that they're children. They're children who have special needs. So, right. you know, sometimes we forget that or they become so um, they get the children get this learned helplessness where they're just so ingrained on not doing things on their own. So there are a lot of the resilience and just being able to bounce back and to know that, you know what, you're not going to be perfect and it's going to change from moment to moment. You know, I have autistic students where they're having severe behaviors and one one week th this works. And the next week, it doesn't work at all. You know, it, there's a lot of give and take. And you just have to do it from your heart. I think that's really, that's what keeps you going. Um, something I did, I was, I just actually had a meeting today with the parent. And I forgot to bring the article. <laughs> I wanted to, I was like, oh, we did this. So this is one of the things we did with the um, workability is we work for a company, a little store up here in the mountains. And they put tags on the hat the winter hats. And so this is him doing it. And I was telling his dad, cause he's part of the workability program. And I'm like, oh, I didn't bring the article to show you, but we get movie tickets and we ride this community bus and we get to go to the movies. So they learn all sorts of skills from this. But when I started after I closed my, they closed my young adult center cause everybody grew up. <laughs> then we started, um, I started in a whole new district with a whole new set of students and they were lower functioning. And I was, so I was trying to get them out onto the campus and go to lunch and, and things. And I got a lot of resistance from on campus, the teachers, um, the staff, they, they didn't think our students should be out of their classrooms. Um, and so I would talk to the parents about what I was trying to teach them and why I was trying to teach them this, you know, how to stand in line, how to go out in the community. Oh, you're not taking my child in the community because they can't take them out. Mm. You know, we took them out and they ran off and, and it's like, no, we need to teach them. You know, a lot of the parents get to the point where they don't even take their child anywhere with them. They leave them at home so they can run their errands, but that isn't functional. You know, that isn't right. functional for them. So it's, there's a lot, I think the resilience that comes from is just being able to be a little more open to what your child can do and the resources that are out there and what you need to do with them. Absolutely. And I, you talk about change and, you know, in parenting change happens constantly, no matter what. And I think, especially with, um, uh, difficulties and challenges like this, they, the pendulum swings even further. Right. And yes. so being okay with change, being okay with, you know what, and setting those, those standards before you go out, like we're going to go out and our goal is to get to the store and to come back, right? We're going to get right. to the store. We are going to maybe hold hands. We're going to go up and down a couple aisles, and then we're going to come back. Whether you get something and, and, and it's productive for what you need to do, but doing these um, smaller tasks, right, would yes. be an act toward working toward that functional uh, yes. life that they're looking for. 
Yes. Yes. And you know, sometimes you have to start really small, you know, and, but it was just, you know, when, the, when I first start and I get a new student and I say, okay, we're going to go do this. And they're like, no, you're not <laughs> like, no. So they come with us and then they get to see, they, you know, it's like, come, come with us, you know? So they show up when we're eating out and they eat with us and they get to know the staff and the other students and the parents. And then they're like, oh, this is okay. You know, but it's just such a new thing for them. Sometimes they don't know that we have programs after they leave public education, there are programs and the programs that they get into depend on how much they can do and how much we can teach them while they're in school. Mm -hmm. So we try to push them while we get the chance. So if we teach, if they, my students go out and they work at CVS, they work in Walgreens and if they do that, they ride a community bus, they know how to pay, you know, they know how to give them the bus passes. Then when they leave us, they can go into a program where they can get a small paycheck. Sometimes they can actually, we have like warehouses where they work and they assemble things and they work. It's a job. They have to come to work. They have to work. They have to do everything they're supposed to do. And if they don't, then they're out and another person gets to come in. So they need to learn all of those skills so that they can earn their own money. And we all take pride in earning our own, our own way. You know, when we were trying to earn the money to go to SeaWorld, it was a lot of money. And there was some issues and the school board actually offered to pay for our trip. And I stood up in the meeting and I said, no, my students want to earn their own money and they have the right to do that. Mm. And so they did, they earned it all. And they felt pride in watching, you know, the thermometer go up. And we, we forget that even though someone has a special need, they're, they're still a person first. And they have the same needs and wants we do. They just have to sometimes go about it a different way. Right. I was actually just earlier today, I was reading through um, uh, an article on Instagram and, and it was talking about though, this is um, someone that uh, classifies herself as autistic and she is on the spectrum. And she was talking about how um, that autistic uh, people are not given the same freedom to have diversity within themselves as typical, um, what you call it, neurotypical uh, people, right? Um, I am, I am one that I, you know, there is no normal. Normal is just the average of abnormal, you know. And so, uh, but I do see her point, kind of what you were saying with um, the teachers on campus and things like that. Like, oh, you can't bring them out of the classroom. You can't, yeah. you know, they need to stay in this box, right? right? They have, they have been diagnosed with this, even though everything they've been diagnosed with is all over, you know, no pun intended, but all over the spectrum, right? And mm -hmm. and. So even though they're all so different, they're being, you know, put into this literal box of a classroom and stay there, stay there nice and neat. So we don't have to worry about you. We don't have to um, deal, you know, with you. And so I'm just so thankful that there's people like you out in the world, out in communities that can truly reach in and have yourself have, you know, the vulnerability and discipline and vision and, and resilience to get out there and help um, these children and these families so that they can go and lead successful functional lives. And it is a possibility. So I'm just so thankful for that. 
Um, and I want to transition over to this wonderful book series that you have. And this is all about Queen Vernita. And I want to know all about her and how you are using this character to transform families. Well, it actually started when I was getting my credential. It was an assignment in my math class. So when the very first one I wrote, I actually had my students in it and it was called Queen Victoria. And I got a grant from Cal Poly and we went around to the elementary schools and we did these little skits and I would go back the next day and I would explain my students' behaviors and their disabilities to, we did it up to first and second grade. So when I decided I wanted to publish it, I then named it after my grandmother, Bernita. And everyone in the first book is a member of my family. This, this is my mother and this is her birthday in September. So the format is that it has 12 months and the queen has 12 visitors. And then there are seven activities for that month. This one is the first one, it's pre-K, this is my nephew. And so I started winning awards and getting interviews and everybody was, well, what are you gonna write about it? Well, I love to travel, got that from my grandmother and my mother. So the queen travels around her kingdom and learns about the different areas. So I'm now publishing my 13th book. It's won 70 awards so far. Uh, this summer it won a bunch of film festival awards and one of them was the conquering disabilities with film festival and i won that because i have some of my students in my books and this is connor and he was my student for several years and he moved down from his dad with to a dad his dad's house and he was having oh my gosh he was having a really hard time adjusting and so it was pretty difficult when we first got him but his dad let me put him in the book and he has a communication device because he's nonverbal. So he's teaching the queen all about his communication device and why he uses it. But they're also learning about the volcanic national park. So in my books, the students there, I've usually put about two in each book and they're just children who are living, living their lives. Him and his dad are at the volcanic national park and he's teaching the queen about its communication device. So if a child is reading this and they're like, oh, and it's just seven facts about it. And if they see a child on campus with a communication device, they'll say, oh, okay, they're not playing video games or how come they get to have theirs? It's how they're communicating. So we need to address the device. And even if a parent is reading this and they're working in the community and someone comes up with this iPad or whatever, and they're like, you know, what are we doing? And then they know to look at it. And then this is how the child is trying to communicate with them or the adult, you know, whoever's using it. This one, this little girl, she has Rett syndrome and mm -hmm. her name is Ireland and her mom's name is Heather. And they're making lays for her classmates and mom is helping. So she's explaining Rett syndrome and why she has to help her daughter. But in the book, she's, she's got classmates and she goes to school and she wants to make something really beautiful for her friends. And so she's just a child living her life. So it helps everyone understand that again, they're just children. That is amazing. Uh, a friend of mine's daughter actually has, um, Rhett. And so, um, and oh, I didn't it's so I, rare. <laughs> yes. Um, and I didn't know anything about it. She's, uh, uh, Mackenzie is the same age as, uh, my oldest daughter. I think she's a little bit older and she's just one of the most fasc fascinating, um, uh, almost had a little accent there for some reason, uh, fascinating, um, <laughs> young women Mackenzie is. And I have just seen, her mom and their whole family be so strong and grow so much through the last, you know, 15, 16 years. And I, 
I don't know. I just, um, just watching their family and, uh, they have a son too, who, um, is quote unquote neurotypical, I guess is, uh, but anyway, but how he embraces life, um, with Mackenzie and takes care of her and what they've been able to do, um, for her. And she was in the hospital a lot last year with different things. And, um, man, I was just praying for her and everything. And she was able to get out and she's, um, enjoying life again. And, uh, it's, it really is fascinating. And I would love to, I can't wait to tell, uh, their family about the, about the book too, but seeing something that is familiar in a book that you're like, Oh, okay. You know, especially if you have a classmate that comes in, I know when my mom was working in special education, like she would take her students into a class for maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes a day, you know, a typical classroom and then come back. And, um, a lot of those students, uh, didn't know what to expect or they were like, Oh goodness, here comes, you know, the special education and who knows what's going to happen because it can be very unpredictable, right. Sometimes. And so if, even, you know, whether you have, you know, a special, uh, special needs child or you don't, I think books like that are so important. So we can be able to understand, um, a little bit more when things come into our, into our lives, into our classrooms, into our, you know, churches or where, wherever, um, that we can be more cognizant and understanding of, um, them as a person, not just this special needs, right? They're a person before their special needs. Yes. Yes. And, yeah. and, you know, we forget that. Yeah. We, we focus on the needs that rather than, oh, this is a child, you know, right. it's a child. That's what I was explaining to um, my parent there. She says, I don't know how to raise, you know, a special needs child. He's, he's a child. He's doing what children do at 12. <laughs> you know? yeah. He's yeah. just looking things up on YouTube, you know? And so once we kind of got over that little hurdle, then she was perfectly fine. You know, she's like, Oh, okay. You know, but it can be overwhelming, you know? And it's like, no, yes, they're children. They want to go skiing. They want to go swimming. (laughs) You know, they want to go to the movies. They want to do all of that. You know, a lot of times we take them to the movies and sometimes they've never been to the movies. Their families don't, don't take them. They don't know that they can, they can go. And it's like, yeah, you know? (laughs) And so it's, it's interesting, but this one I wrote, this is probably my third one. And I wrote it with my little brother. He's an astronomer at JPL. And he wanted to be the professor with the hair and he has the bunny slippers. And it's <laughs> teaching all about astronomy. But on this page is Jeremy. And Jeremy was one of my students. And his mom was actually one of our teachers. And he has Down syndrome. So Jeremy's learning about astronomy. And you're learning a little bit about Down syndrome. So it's just, just I try not to, like, somebody asked me once. Actually, I've been asked that quite a bit if I'm going to write a book on special needs and I'm like, no, because then it's about the special needs rather than a child who's living their life and learning about something. And it changes the focus of what it is that we're doing. This one, this one is Jake and he has cerebral palsy and he's actually the son of a friend of mine. And so he's learning all about astronomy and we're learning a little bit about a cerebral palsy. And this is my brother with his hair and bunny slippers so that's what he wanted to be but one time we were doing a book event at an elementary school and I read my queen bernitas to probably 40 or 50 kindergartners and he was doing the third graders so his took a little longer so I was standing in the back of his performance and he introduced me and who I was and this little boy spoke up and his sister had just passed away 
Mm. And she was in one of our classes. She wasn't in my class, but she was in a special needs class. And so he started talking about it in front of everyone. And we let him talk. And then afterwards, we gave him a set of books. And the teacher said that he hadn't talked for weeks because of this had happened. And just because I was there and I'm doing what I do in my life, he felt the connection to me. And he got to open up a little bit more about what had happened to him and his family. And that's what I tell people if they're out and they're, you know, just like you, you're, you're talking to the public, you go with a certain thought in your head. This is what we're going to talk about. You know, I was going to read my book. So we're going to learn about calendar. Well, we learned a whole bunch of other stuff we didn't know we were going to learn. And so you have to be open to that. You have to know what your audience is doing and what it is that they need from you. Sometimes it's not what you think. (laughs) I'd almost say many times it's not what you think. (laughs) I I have definitely learned that as a uh, homeschooling parent. Um, Okay. Well, before we wrap up, I definitely want to uh, get from you. If there is any, uh, I don't know if there's anything quick um, that you can do, but any tips uh, for either parents of special needs or just any parent out there regarding, you know, special needs, is there something that you can just leave um, our listeners with so that uh, they can make a small pivot this week in a direction of more resilience or disciplines, um, vulnerability and understanding, um, anything that you want to say for on the, from the parent's perspective, remember that your teacher is your support system. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a meeting and it can be overwhelming, there's, there could be 15 people there. If you don't understand what's going on or you don't agree with it, you can stop that meeting and say, you know what? I don't want to do this right now. I want to think about it. It's your meeting. And if you don't understand what someone is saying or you don't agree with them, then you tell them if a child is acting differently at home than they are at school, you need to tell the teacher. Sometimes things are happening in the classroom and we just we can't figure out what it is. And then we'll have a meeting. And after a while, the parent will say, well, you know, they do this. And we're like, "Okay, now we understand what they're doing in the classroom. You need to be more open about what's happening. We're not there to judge you. We're there to help you. So. Mm. That is so important. I know uh, I've heard those meetings can be, um, you know, very challenging, um, anxious, right? Yeah. Uh, I see friends of mine that uh, post or, or talk to me and they're like, oh, we got the meeting next Tuesday. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I hope but it's better see, than you, last time. <laughs> yeah, they shouldn't feel that way. They should have a good communication line with the teacher. And I do a lot of discussions with them usually before the meeting so that by the time we have the meeting, we all know what we're talking about. We're all on the same page. And unless something just comes up out of the blue or something, it's usually pretty open. And the, the parent needs to make sure that they're talking to the teacher. You shouldn't go into the meeting feeling anxious. It is overwhelming. You've got all these professionals in there saying all this stuff about your child. And it's like, but it's your child. Exactly. You're the expert on your child. So. Right. And it's easy to feel like, oh, you know, they must know more about this than I do, especially if you're going in going, I don't know what to do, but you are so right. You are the expert on your child. Um, and that is your role as parent. Um, so thank you so much for being here and bringing awareness to this. Thank you so much for the books. I think those are priceless and, um, I can't wait to have all of our listeners go out and take a look at them and share them and share them with the the world around them because, uh, I love your approach to them. And I totally agree. You don't want to do a book on special needs, but it's about people living with special needs in the world and experiencing the world. So 
Thank you so much for the work that you do, for the love that you have, and for the pivots that you are making in all of these families' lives and all of our listeners today. Oh, thank you for letting me talk. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And uh, for all of our listeners, um, thank you again for listening to another episode of the 6570 Family Project Podcast, where we are building the foundations for ourselves, our uh, kids' futures, and our family as a whole. Have a great day, and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening today. And I hope you were able to take something from our discussion that you can use to build the foundation of self-led leadership in your own family. If you are a parent with children 17 or younger, and especially those around nine and up, I would love to extend an invitation to you to the best club in town. The Family Architects Club is a private club where intentional parents go that want to love, support, connect, or reconnect, and really truly help guide their kids and teach them how to self-lead in discipline and leadership. This is an online community, and you are welcome to it. Parenting is a project, and you are the architect of this one. You plan, you design, and oversee the construction of the beginning of someone else's life. And that's what goes into these first 6,570 days, and it will be the foundation for the rest of their lives. So come join the club. You can find your invitation on the front page of my website, NellieHarden.com. That is N-E-L-L-I-E-H-A-R-D-E-N.com. Thank you again for being a part of this conversation today. And if something really resonated with you, or if you have a question, please don't hesitate to connect with me. You can find me on Instagram at Nellie Harden. And lastly, if you loved the information, please, please leave a five-star review and a comment so more and more families can be impacted by harnessing the strength of these ideas and tools in their own families. So thank you so much. Happy building, you guys, and I'll see you next week.